Hey, Al. Hey, Barry. What do you call a rogue with a lot of hit points? What? A con artist. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Capel Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. Those sound like the words of someone who needs a day at the beach. The- There's a beach? I. I'm gonna go see if I can find some swim trunks. Suppose it's easy to be edgy. When you're going back to the place that ruined your life and where everyone you know and loathe makes their residence? Yeah, I kind of feel that way about going home myself. Pearlport is not my home. And she spins on her heel and she storms off. I look at you and I know that I'm breaking a promise. So, yes, there are complicated interpersonal dynamics. It's a complicated situation. Every bit of this is complicated, and it's not easy for me. Obviously, this isn't easy for me either. (laughs) Are you giving me the shovel talk, lad? Captain, we spend most of our time out in the middle of the ocean. I won't need a shovel. Ah, fuck me. That's the moray. Uh, the the moray? Aye. It's Miriam and Killian's ship. About 30 leagues southwest of Sleet Gulf. (laughs) Take it on water and... (laughs) Don't know how long we can hold them off. Urgent assistance needed. I repeat, urgent assistance needed. There's... (laughs) I love you. You're a bastard. Love you too. I am not asking you to trust that Sabine is good. I'm asking you to trust that Sabine has the strongest self-preservation instinct of anyone I've ever met. Seems like a lot of us here have unanswered questions. But if we're lucky, we may be able to parse a few of them out. We don't need luck. We'll have the wind. Leah. The ship's been sailing for a few days on the trail of this ship that captured the crew of the Moray, which is the ship captained by Miriam Adler, who you met in Oskaya. You've been trying to make yourself useful, but it hasn't been super easy. There's not a lot to do. You're just sailing on the trail of this other ship. Fee's been doing a lot of control wind stuff to kind of give the ship a boost. And Pelican has been watching the ship through the eyes of the bird pretty constantly. But there's not a lot else to do. You're not really a trained sailor. There's not much that you can do to help out. So I think you've kind of just been moral support for Fee. Yeah, and Leo does not do well with feeling useless, so he's climbing the walls a little bit. I think if Fee's up in the rigging doing her magic thing, I'm going to try to make myself as useful as I can. I'm going to go try to find Ascot and see if he needs anything. 
I don't think Ascot's hard to find. He's kind of going through the stores, figuring out what you have since you couldn't resupply as well as you wanted to in Mesboro. He looks like he is about to tear his hair out. Hey, uh, do you need help moving anything? Doing math? I'm bad at math. Please, Ascot, I'm begging you, man. Give me something here. Ascot is buried in crates, throws his hands up, and he says, Well, unless you can figure out how to stretch food that was going to get 40 people through the next week, far enough to provide for another 30 on top of that, uh, and he just buries his hands in his hair and makes a noise of frustration. I mean, if Leo was still using his clerical magic, he would have had access to conjure food and water. His hand kind of drifts down to where Kimrel's blade is sheathed at his belt and runs a thumb along the hilt. But then he purses his lips and shakes his head. Nope. Sorry. Can't help you there. Ascot, like, grits his teeth and waves his hand at you and says, It was a hypothetical. He nods at one of the smaller crates. We're trying to consolidate everything into one of the smaller rooms so we can... And he waves at the big storeroom. Use this for transport. If you could help me move things over, I'd appreciate it. Buddy, I got a negative one strength modifier, but I'll try my best. Yeah, roll athletics. (laughs) Oh no. Fourteen. You start helping Ascot move things. Ascot handles the bigger crates. He's a big dude. But you handle, like, small boxes of dried fruit and stuff. And just kind of get everything consolidated into a smaller room. He has to force the door closed, like, throw his whole weight against it. (sighs) I should not have stayed on the boat. Yeah, I mean, I understand now that this is your boat. This is pretty fucking degrading, man. You actually helped me feel a little better about myself. Thanks, Ascot! He had pushed past you. So he just stops in the middle of the hallway, puts both hands over his face, and just drags them down. Glad I could help. Leo is trying to maintain some semblance of dignity, but is very, very sweaty and exhausted looking. I'm gonna go back up on deck and see if there's anybody else I can help. Maybe like you or Boots or somebody. As you go back up on deck, actually, the captain catches you on the way out of the hold, and he says, Oi, there you are. He just grabs you by the elbow and starts tugging you over to the captain's quarters, where you see everybody else kind of congregating. Boots is, like, leading Pelican. You can tell Pelican's not really present still, but Boots is, like, leading him by the elbow. As Ascot comes out of the hold after you, the captain yells over his shoulders, Oi, we'll be needing you as well. And you all just head into the captain's quarters. Fia's already in there. I think she's sitting on the bed and the captain gives her kind of a weird look but there aren't enough seats in the room so he lets it slide you is kind of sitting on the floor sharpening her sword and glasses is tinkering with something boots pelican and doc sit down at the table and the captain kind of leans over with his hands on it and waits for the rest of you to get settled and then he says we'll be coming up on the other ship in the last time we checked in About three hours? You see him, like, running through a mental checklist. He points at Doc, he says, 
will likely have wounded. You're prepared to handle that? And he nods at Boots again, he says. If you could get him to uh, elaborate on the weather conditions that we're sailing into, I'd appreciate it. And Boots, who has just been like rubbing really slow circles into Pelican's back, just nods and then squeezes at his shoulder. You watch Pelican jolt and blink a couple times, and then he is present and in the room with the rest of you. Boots says, Love, if you could tell us what the winds are looking like, the captain would appreciate that. Pelican nods. He looks fucking worn out. Like, it's been a rough couple of days for him, very obviously. But he just, like, rapid fire, makes a few hand gestures, and I think for you and Fee's benefit, Boots kind of translates. He goes, the other ships sailing straight into a squall. We'll all be sailing against the wind, seems. And then the captain nods. He says, right. Thank you, Pelican. That'll do. And Pelican checks out again. Well, we won't all be sailing against the wind. Leo nods over at Fee. Fee nods back. She says, yeah, uh, I can bring out a pretty powerful wind spell to give us an edge. We'd be uh, severely limiting my firepower if we do that, but... And the captain nods. He says, right. Then that just brings up the matter of what the hell we're going to do when we get there. I mean, from my understanding, Stormfolk can breathe underwater, yes? What's preventing us from just sinking the thing to the bottom of the sea when we get there and going down to get everybody once the whole situation's handled? From behind you, where you and Glasses are sitting on the floor, Glasses pipes up, well, sharks, for one. Yeah, sharks. Thank you, Glasses. The captain actually, like, cracks a smile for the first time in a little bit, and he says, Aye, sharks. Mermaids, for another. Oh, mermaids! In unison, the captain, Doc, and you all say, Don't get excited. Man, why is it that everything about the Zephyr Isles that should be cool just ends up being fucking terrifying? The captain, again, just smiles a little bit. Comes with the territory. And he kind of, like, pounds his chest a little bit, and he says, No other way to get the, uh, famous bloody Stormfolk stamina. Besides. And you watch his face go very flat. His jaw twitches as he grits his teeth. And he puts one hand on his cutlass, and he says, I'd very much like to know who's given them their orders. Over on the bed, you watch Fee smooth down her skirt with her hands and run one back through her hair. And you can see crackles of static electricity coming off of her fingers. And she says, as would I. Okay, so we're boarding the ship. I only know about naval combat in a purely academic sense from what I was taught as a kid. So, Captain, I will defer to your knowledge and expertise on this. But... Basically, what I'm understanding here is that we're just gonna hop on the boat when we get there, and what happens next happens next. Yes? I... I think some of the crew will be staying back. He nods at Doc, and he says, I'll leave to your discretion who that'll be. And then he looks over at Glasses and says, Glasses will of course be a... And he grins a little bit, like very sharp, and says, 
heralding our arrival, we'll say. Glasses looks a little bit nervous suddenly, but he grits his teeth. Aye, sir. And pardon my optimism, Fee, I know it makes you nervous when I have it, but what happens after we rescue the crew of the Moray? Are they just tagging along with us to Pearlport, or are we having another diversion? The captain says, Aye, that's a good fucking question. Ascot, like, hisses. Aye, unless they're taking the crew of the Moray to a banquet, I don't think we're going to be able to get to Pearlport without restocking. Leo's hand drifts down to his belt again, where Kimrel's blade is, and he just grits his teeth and shakes his head. Okay, well, that's that question resolved. Does anybody here need my help with anything? Please, I just need to do something other than sit on the deck and play with my goddamn padlocks. Can I help anybody? There's a pause, and then I think Glasses raises a hand. You could help me set up the guns. What's a gun? Instantly, Glasses just breaks out in a big grin, rubs his hands together, and he says, It's my special little invention. Yeah, you know what? Sure. I will help you with your special little invention, because frankly, I am tired of sitting around with my thumb up my ass. Everybody, have a great rest of your day. I'll see you when the blood starts spilling, apparently. And Leo's going to grab glasses and leave. Fee, this little war council ends not long after Leo and glasses dip out. And you spend a few more hours just sailing on. You probably end up getting pulled back into the rigging to push the ship along and help the speed with your various control wind and gust spells. Since you're up above the deck, I feel like you have a pretty good vantage point. You look down on the deck of the ship and see you mustering all the deckhands up along the railings, running them through combat drills. Sitting up in the forecastle, you see Pelican cross-legged in kind of a meditative stance with Boots sitting next to him, just rubbing slow circles on his back. And then you see the horrifying zombie pelican come flying back through the air and perch itself down on pelican's shoulder. He lurches back into lucidity and stands back up and walks down to start talking to you. But before you can process much more than that, you look out onto the horizon and see the distant silhouette of a sailing ship fighting against a blustering wind that is blowing back against it. The ship is gaining on it pretty fast because you are helping it along, you know, you're pushing it and augmenting the speed quite a bit. You see Boots and Pelican duck into the captain's quarters really quick and come out with the captain in tow. He heads out to the prow of the ship, pulls a spyglass out of the pocket of his frock coat and peers off through it for a second and then moves back to the center of the deck, cups his hands around his mouth, and yells, All hands! Everybody on the ship pours out onto the deck. He looks up into the rigging at Yuffie and makes a swirling motion with his finger, like, keep doing what you're doing. But then 
calls the crew into a huddle and starts talking to the rest of them down on the deck. Fee's just been using gust cantrips to kind of like, not even by that much overpower the wind that they're sailing towards, but just kind of keep them moving forward. A pretty constant gust cantrip has been going on. You keep up with that and you keep closing on this ship. The closer you get to it, you can see that it is a multi-masted, multi-decked sailing ship, although it is smaller than the ship that you are on right now. But more noticeably, you notice that it is not flying any colors. There's no flag flying from the mast, no nameplate on the back of the ship, no nothing. It seems intentionally anonymous. Roll me history with advantage. That's a 23. Fee, you grew up in Ilnaeus. You know what Astrarian ships look like. This is clearly a vessel that was built by an Astrarian shipwright. Although it is not flying any colors, there's nothing affiliating it with anything. Yeah, Fee's just gonna keep trying to listen in on the crew as best she can and just keep funneling gust cantrips into the sails. The ship continues to close on its quarry. A lot of the deckhands below you on the deck start scattering off towards what appear to be their battle stations. You see a lot of the cannons that you've seen glasses kind of tinkering with before get rolled out onto the deck and slotted into gun slots, both on the top and on the lower decks. And now is where our naval combat begins. So I am going to roll initiative for both of the ships in question here. The ship you are chasing rolls a natural one, which is a negative one to initiative. And the ship rolls a 10. So the crew of the ship will be going first in the initiative of this naval combat. So now what's going to happen is I'm going to need Fee, Leo, and the Captain, all three, to roll me initiative. Fee rolled a 27. The Captain rolled a 28. And Leo rolled a 9. Alright, so the Captain is going to be going first on the ship's initiative. Fee, you are still up in the rigging. You see him stride very purposefully over to Pelican. Hoist the colors on the red flag. Pelican gives him a very heavy look, like, are you sure about this? And the bird starts to ruffle its feathers like it's gonna say something. And the captain cuts him off with a very sharp, I gave you an order, sailor. Pelican clenches his jaw and then goes to a chest on the deck and pulls out a couple of flags and starts running them up the mast. Fee's gonna call down to Pelican. What's the red for? Pelican actually just grits his teeth and shakes his head and doesn't say anything. But you, who is tightening the harness that is holding her sword onto her back, looks up and yells into the rigging. Snowsicle flag code. Yellow flag means you've got sick people aboard. White flag means you surrender. 
Red flag means no quarter. No prisoners. Any crew member we find aboard that ship's gonna die. She looks almost as displeased as Pelican does about this, but she just makes sure her sword is in place and marches off across the deck. So for the captain's action, I'm going to roll an intimidation check on the other ship to see what happens there. 23. As you were in the rigging, you see two flags run up the mast beside you, the fleet flag, and directly below it, a large, solid red flag. And on the ship in front of you, as you continue to close on it, you start to see people jumping overboard taking the mercy of the choppy, stormy sea over what they apparently know is coming for them. This ship is losing half of its crew capacity, which means that it will be traveling at half speed, which will make you closing on it way faster. So, Fee, you are next up in initiative. The ship is moving its full 50 feet forward. With the wind in its sails, you're getting way, way closer. You're within 100 feet of this ship. What would you like to do? Fee's going to hop down out of the rigging and move over to stand next to Leo and yell at everybody else to get back. Everybody else takes several steps back and Leo goes to do the same? Not you. Fee, like, grabs him by the elbow and then grins viciously and says, We're taking a trip. As soon as we're within 90 feet, I'm going to cast Thunderstep. Okay, that will get you 90 feet through the ocean and the open air onto the deck of this other ship. There is a massive boom behind the two of you as you depart, and you and Leo warp through non-space into the midst of just utter chaos on the deck of this ship. There are sailors running everywhere across the deck, also trying to pull weapons into place. Every single goddamn one of them is Australian. Yeah, I figured. And then Leo is next in the initiative. He can't do anything right now other than attack or give actions. So he's going to give you a help action for your next round because... You guys are surrounded by other sailors. And now it is the other ship's turn. So the other ship is going to utilize the full speed ahead function of the naval combat method that we're running to move a further 22 feet ahead and push themselves a little further out ahead of the ship so that nobody else can grapple onto the deck. The ship is going to catch up in the next round, and you're going to get support, but you guys are going to have to take one round of combat from the sailors that are on deck with you. So I'm going to roll three attacks on Fee and two attacks on Leo. Two eights and a 22. Well, one of those is going to hit because it's nine above my armor class. Six damage to you from a pirate sword that manages to swipe you along the arm. And then two more go after Leo. 
Uh oh. Somebody rolled a nat 20. Well, that sucks. I'm never loaning you dice again. Oh, God. So 20 damage for Leo as a pirate sword fully stabs him in the side, I guess. And now we are back to the ship's initiative. The captain is going to use a feature of the combat that we're using called Full Speed Ahead to urge the ship forward a little bit. Yep, that gives him an extra 15 feet, which absolutely allows the ship to close in on this other vessel. And you start to see some wild shit happen, Fee. The ship pulls up parallel alongside this vessel that you and Leo are now both on, and you see glasses hunkered down behind a cannon on the deck, and the captain standing behind him. He's only about... 10, 20 feet away from you at this point, and you hear him shout down into Glasses's ear, No shots across the bow, lad! Glasses lights a fuse on the cannon and just sets off this massive explosion that erupts out of the mouth of the gun. Glasses gets two shots on this. First one is going to hit. Second one not gonna hit. So the one hit that we're gonna get is gonna do 3d10 piercing damage plus 1d10 thunder damage because of the artificer stuff that Glasses has done to the cannons. Oh my god! Okay. Fee, next to you, Glasses swivels around this cannon to aim at the helm of the other ship, lights the fuse, sets off the shot, you see a ripple of thunder and lightning magic come up around the mouth of the cannon before the artillery comes out of it, and he aims it at the helm of the other ship, fully blasts the person that is driving the ship away off the side of the deck into the water, and really severely damages this ship's wheel. So now that the two vessels are close enough to each other to justify this, I'm going to have the captain make an acrobatics check to jump over onto the ship with you and Leo. 23, baby. Fee, as you reappear with Leo in the middle of this combat, you see the captain on the deck of the ship with a grappling hook and a length of rope in his hand, just kind of twirling it around. And he tosses it, it locks onto the railing of the other ship, and he just swings across, no problem, and vaults up onto the deck. Hot. From behind all of you, on the deck of the ship, you hear the sounds of many more people swinging around grappling hooks and swinging on over to the deck of this other vessel. However, Fee, you and Leo are still surrounded by five pirates who are trying very hard to stab you. So true, but it's my turn? Yes, it is. Can I borrow two D6s? Because I only have eight, and I'm about to throw three beads from the Necklace of Fireballs, so I need to roll 10 D6 damage. Oh, from the necklace you got from Kalesa back in Season 1? Yes, the one that I've only used one of the charges for. Okay, yeah, here's a couple D6s. Woo! 
42, and I'm going to throw it at the mast. And I would assume that the mast is made of wood and thus is vulnerable to fire damage? Uh, you would be correct, so that would be 84. That is not enough to take the mast and the sails down in this round, but they are ignited and will be taking fire damage on every round from here on out. Yep, until someone can uh, put them out, which since I threw the beads into the mast, the 20 feet around the mast of the deck is also on fire. So good luck. (laughs) Okay. So seconds after landing on the deck of this ship, you have set most of it on fire. Good for you. Next to you, as you do this, Leo whips around, stares at you, and goes, Since when the hell can you do that? Thee, still with her hand around the necklace, (laughs) jiggles it and says, Kalesa gave me a present. I mean... On one hand, that makes sense. On the other, why the hell didn't you use that shit when we were fighting the Crag Cat? It's a limited resource. My face got fucked up forever. We handled it. So the Australian pirate vessel is now on fire, and the crew will be addressing that with their turn. So I'm just going to call that a group con save. Oof, that was a natural 19. So they do manage to get the fire doused, but that is going to take their entire turn as far as the ship initiative goes, which means that the actual ship is back up now because the captain, you, and Leo are all on board this other vessel. Fee from where you're standing, you see glasses swivel a cannon around and point it at the already weakened mast that you have absolutely ensconced in flame. And he's going to roll to hit. So yeah, he's going to hit. So a total of 22 damage, which is more than enough to blow the fucking main mast off of this ship. You weaken it with all of this fire damage from your necklace, and Glasses sees the vulnerability, pivots the gun to aim at the very root of the mainmast, and just blasts it off the ship. It goes collapsing with a creak into the water on the other side. So this ship is now dead in the water. It cannot move. And... After all of this happens, the captain turns around, points at you, and then Leo, and goes, Right, you two, with me, now! And starts running for the lower decks of the ship. I'm gonna use my action to disengage and run after him. And Leo's going to do the same. As the three of you get below decks, Leo, roll perception for me. 22. You can hear the direction from which there is a a, a commotion going on. It doesn't sound like the crew of this ship trying to get their shit together. It sounds like a bunch of people that are, say, locked in a brig (laughs) and confused about what's going on and why the ship was just on fire. So you know what direction that's going on in. 
what direction would that be? Towards the front of the ship. You're not really sure how to navigate this ship, so I'm going to have you roll survival for me to figure that out. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Ten. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a sailor. <laughs> Can't stress this enough. I am not a sailor. I don't like boats. I'm not good with boats. So you managed to pretty reliably figure out what direction everybody is in, and you managed to point the captain and Fee towards that direction, but you have no idea how to get through the bowels of the ship. You get lost very quickly. Uh, okay, I'm just running towards the source of the noise and doing my best, I guess. You manage to, like, find your way through the gun deck, which is kind of like the first deck when you go down the stairs, mostly because it's largely open. Uh, roll me investigation really quick. Thirteen. You find a map table kind of laid out. You see that there was a map that presumably got them to where you found the Wreck of the Moray. Nothing about where they're headed, really. But on the table, you find an open envelope. There's no letter inside. It's just the envelope. For a second, the sounds of the battle raging above your head and all the uh, confused shouting going on below your feet in the lower decks wipes away because all you can hear is your own heartbeat in your ears. As you see that attached to this envelope is a wax seal stamped with the personal official seal of House Valsign and the Archduke of Asheria. Fuck me. I grab the envelope and stuff it in my shirt and keep running. I'll handle it later. We've got bigger fish to fry right now. You run into the lower decks. It takes you a minute. You keep kind of stumbling into the wrong rooms and things down here, but you head off towards the front of the ship and... You eventually follow the sounds of shouting into what appears to be the brig of this ship. You open the door and you see almost 30 Stormfolk sailors just locked away down here, all uh, seeming in not high spirits, but loud spirits. I pull out my thieves tools and I run to the door and I yell into the group of sailors. Captain Adler, help has arrived. I really wish our reunion were under better circumstances, though. Miriam Adler was not necessarily at the front, but was near the front of the cell. Very calmly, but very loudly demanding parlay. You get the sense that she's been doing this the entire time she's been here and has not received satisfaction. But she kind of pushes her way past people, so she's at the front and facing you. And she uh, looks you up and down, and she says, Oi! Didn't think we'd be meeting again at all, so it's a bit of a surprise. Interesting thought process, given that you sold us out. But hey, I don't hold grudges. I'm gonna try to open the door with my thieves' tools. 
Roll me a thieves tools check. As you're doing that, Miriam says, Why, I guess we did. For a good cause, though. As Leo is fiddling with his thieves tools, he just takes one quick glance over his shoulder at the captain and Fee and goes, Yeah, sure. Better cause for some than others, but, you know, who am I to say? (laughs) Okay, let me roll for the thieves tools. Okay, my hard work with my padlocks has paid off. I have expertise in thieves tools, so I rolled an 8, but that's a 21. Hell yeah. You managed to jimmy this lock open? At once, everybody is pouring out the doors. There are a lot of people in this brig, and they are not enjoying it. I think Miriam steps out first, and she nods at the captain. She says, Captain, what are our orders? The captain nods. He says, well, if you've got anyone uninjured, we'd be glad for the reinforcements up on the top deck. But otherwise, orders are clear out to get back to the ship. Miriam nods, and she uh, whistles for everybody's attention. Everyone hear that? And as one, the crew of the Moray say, Aye, aye, Captain. <sighs> yeah, given the combat capability of everybody else here, Leo's useless right now. He's just gonna try to round up the injured folks and help facilitate getting them back onto the ship. The entire crew of the Moray is a little bit beat up. You can tell they were in a pretty brutal combat. Most of them are not, you feel, gonna be good to fight. There are maybe half a dozen, a little bit more people that are fighting fit, and they, as you lead them back out through the cargo hold, start scavenging weapons that have been obviously looted from other ships and arm themselves to the teeth. (laughs) And you all start going up to the top deck. The top deck is soaked in blood. The few people off the crew of the Moray that are still in fighting shape charge out into the last few minutes of the fighting up on the top deck. It seems like the crew of the ship are doing significantly better than the pirates that you have accosted. They all let out cheers as they see people come out of the hold as reinforcements. Despite the circumstances, it's very, like, jubilant and cheerful. This combat wraps up. I'm just gonna go try to facilitate getting all of the injured folks back over onto the ship. Yeah, you and a few members of the crew start dragging out lifeboats and drop them into the water so they can start rowing back to the ship. About half the crew stays behind on the ship that you've run into, and they start going below decks to look for stragglers. The captain helps drag out a lifeboat, and he nods at it. And to Miriam, he says, Captain Adler, if you please. Miriam leans back and crosses her arms over her chest and says, No, I think we'll stay. I'd like to see things finished over here before I take my rest. The captain just kind of puts his hands up and says, As you like. And they start ushering the rest of the crew of the Moray onto these lifeboats. You finally catch sight of Killian Cassidy. He is very obviously concussed, kind of wavering a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I see your face. You're about to be mean, huh? I was about to be a real dick, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to help him onto the lifeboat and clap him on the shoulder. Miriam pats him on the side of the face, gives him a little kiss on the cheek, and says, 
go get your head batched up. Can't afford to be losing any brain cells. And he, like, bats her off. Woman, you've got to be nicer to me when I'm injured. And Miriam says, not on your life. And spins and walks off. You get the rest of the crew of the Moray on the lifeboats and headed off to the ship. Staying behind on this boat are Miriam, the captain, Fee, you, not you, but you, and I think Boots and a couple of the other crew members. Uh, are you staying behind or are you heading off to help in the infirmary? Leo's not using his healing magic. He can't really help in the infirmary that much. He doesn't have practical medical skills. Yeah, I'm going to stay behind. The top deck of the ship is just a minefield of gore. When the captain flew the red flag, he wasn't kidding. You stand in this carnage for several long moments while many of the rest of the crew descend into the bowels of this ship. Some of them come up with loot, big crates or treasure chests that they lower down into lifeboats to take back over to the ship. But after another several minutes, you marches back up from below deck, pushing a bound Australian young man in front of her. His eyes are wide. He looks incredibly frightened. She marches him over in front of where the captain is standing and shoves him in the back so he falls down to his knees. We found this little bilgerat hiding behind a pile of crates down in the hold. He was smart enough to call for parlay before we could finish the job, so... The captain sets his jaw and nods, and his expression goes very hard. And he says, Oi, right to parlays, first and foremost in the pirate code. And the captain would love to speak with him. This guy from down on the blood-soaked deck looks back and forth between you and Leo. And Fee, you see recognition flash across his face. And he goes, What? Fee sets her jaw and crosses her arms over her chest and says, Something to say. You're supposed to be dead. And yet we're not. Almost makes you think the Australian propaganda machine spreads lies, doesn't it? Beside you, the captain's posture tenses up even more than it already was. He reaches into the pocket of his frock coat, pulls out a handkerchief, and just slowly wipes the blood off of his cutlass, and says, Right then, where were you sailing for? This guy stammers for a bit and says, um, Lux Togolin, that was where we were told. The captain nods and says, Right, what you were told. I noticed you weren't flying any colors. And I know better than to think that a band of no-name cutthroats could take out an entire ship's worth of members of the fleet. So why don't you tell me who you're sailing under, lad? This guy's eyes go a little bit wider, and he looks even more afraid, if possible. That ship took out an entire ship's worth of Australian military. We, We were only... And Fee, next to you, you feel Leo tense up. His hand drifts down to the hilt of that knife at his belt that you've seen him wield in combat before, the knife with the long, jagged blade that looks like it's made of bone or some other organic material. 
and he mutters, he could be lying. He could be lying about all of this, but he doesn't move any further. The captain's expression goes even harder. He nods curtly and says, And who told you that? That was the question I asked you. Who are you sailing under? This guy breaks in a jagged breath and just goes, Vice Admiral Defiance, she said. The captain looks like he has just been hit in the chest with a cannonball. For just a moment, you see his whole body curl inwards like he is trying to keep himself from falling apart. And then, slowly, methodically, he puts himself back together and stands up straight again. Nods to himself slowly and says, Right. And you called for parlay. So, what was it that you wanted to ask of me? This sailor, the last of his crew, looks up terrified, arms straining against the ropes around his wrists, and says, Mercy. Fee, you've seen the captain in combat before, and he is undoubtedly formidable in that setting. But there's always been that sort of cocky swagger to him, that sense of enjoyment. There is none of that now. He looks terrifying. His entire facial expression is hard and unyielding. His posture is coiled, ready to strike. For the first time, you look at him, and you see the Pirate King of the Zephyr Isles. The captain looks out across the blood-soaked deck of this ship, where several members of the crew are lying dead after this battle, nods to himself again, and turns back to the sailor. He weighs his cutlass in his hand like it is the weight of the world, and says, You best beg for mercy from your lord of bones, lad. You'll find none from me. And in cold blood, he cuts this guy's throat and leaves him to drop and bleed out on the deck. He turns over to Boots, and he says... Clear out the hold, bring the dead back to the ship, and then light this motherfucker up. He makes an acrobatics check to jump back over onto the deck, and you see him march off towards the captain's quarters and slam the door behind him. Everybody starts clearing out the hold. Fee just goes straight back over to the ship. You see her knock on the captain's door and then wait there for a second and not go inside. But everybody else starts clearing out the hold and then starts moving across to the ship. And as soon as you're all back over, Glasses sets off some kind of weird charge from one of the cannons that sets the boat on fire. And you start sailing away. Leo, what are you doing? 
Leo's just gonna stand out on the deck, looking out at the burning ship that they're sailing away from, and he pulls out Kimrel's blade and starts just kind of running his fingers back and forth over the flat of it. Fee approaches, comes and stands next to you. She looks defeated, to put it mildly. Leo doesn't look at her, he's still just running his fingers up and down along the blade. But then eventually he nods to himself grimly and says, You know, I spent my whole life feeling really useless without magic. And five years was all it took to make me forget what that felt like. Fee crosses her arms over her chest and sighs. If it makes you feel better, I also feel pretty useless right now. <laughs> Maybe being useless is just our thing. Ever since we left that beach, I've been given opportunities that I could have taken. I could have helped us get food. I could have helped with the people that were wounded. I could have made that bastard back on the ship tell the truth. And I stood there and I did nothing. There's a long pause, and then, sounding pretty confused, Fee says, You could've? Leo grits his teeth and sighs. <sighs> um, technically, I guess. All those years ago, back when you helped me get out of Elenthal, before I left Australia, I... I had a little talk with Kimrel. A talk. Okay. Alright, you had a little talk with the sovereign god of Asheria. Got it. He's not as cool in person as Church makes him seem. In fact, he's actually really fucking annoying. And your little talk is why you could do magic in Gimtara. Basically. I paused on the shores of Australia, and I cried out for justice, and he said that he could give it to me. I guess if we're being technical, we could say that I was a priest, although I very clearly never got ordained or went through the process of joining the priesthood, but the magic was there. And for five years, I thought the justice was too. But then I found out that Soren was dead, and that the justice I thought I was working towards was a lie. So, when he came to talk to me again when we were in Oskaya, I told him to fuck off. And he did. And now I am right back where I was at the beginning of all this. Useless. Fee looks like she's thinking for a second, and then she says, So, your chosen course in the pursuit of justice is to give up the power that you do have, that you could use, because... Why? Because 
If we didn't already know what that island does, we learned today. We saw. And all of those people from the Moray, Killian and Miriam, could have died. And... I'm not going to pretend to know the mind of a god. I don't know how much Kimrel himself actually condones what's happening on Luxtogallan, but he sure as hell not doing anything to stop it. Is the power I could use really worth it if something like that is the price? You not wanting it doesn't change the fact that you have it. And that you could be mitigating some of the damage that's being caused right now. And instead, you're... She makes a vague gesture. She says, not to sound too moralistic, but you're ignoring the good that you could do and the people that are being hurt that you could help in favor of feeling good about your own principles. Leo's hand pauses where it's been running up and down along the blade of the knife, and he snaps his head over towards Fee. I don't feel good about any of this. Then you're accomplishing nothing. It's not helping you, it's not helping the people that are being hurt. My magic may not come from Kimrel, but it does come from Father, at least in part. Does that reflect poorly on me, in a moral sense? No, it doesn't. You know it doesn't. No. It would be easier for me to give up breathing than to give up magic, so I understand that our situations aren't analogous. But now that I'm aware of what's happening, I am using the power that I have to make every effort to stop it. That's all I can do. That's all anyone can do. You have to take the hand that you're dealt and play it. Deciding to draw a moral line in the sand before the point that you help people isn't the action that you're making it out to be. It's the opposite of action. It's... Leo reaches into his shirt and pulls out the envelope that he found on the ship and just kind of plops it down on the railing between himself and Fee. Roll inside for me. 26. Sibling telepathy, man. You watch Fee look at this envelope and look at the seal, and for, like, just a second... Her face looks raw, and her shoulders bow a little bit, and then she takes a very deep breath, she nods, she says, Right, I suppose we knew that already, on some level. And now we know it on a deeper level. Whatever's going on down here, the old man is directly involved in it. And I hear what you're saying, and I understand your point. But there is not anything in this world that I can think of that could convince me to keep playing his game. 
or to draw power from the thing that killed my mother and Soren. I am sorry. Fee nods, and she says, No, I understand. We all have our lines. We just... have to figure out what we can do from within them. Fee? Yeah? This might be overstepping a bit, but I just really need you to tell me that you don't think less of me for drawing the line where I do. She takes another very deep breath, and then she says, No, of course not. I... I just... It's been a long day. I need a minute. And the captain probably needs you more than I do right now. I'll be okay. You go do what you need to do. I love you. I love you too. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go. And then she, like, pinches the bridge her nose, and she says, I'm going to go do that. Right. And she walks off towards the captain's quarters. Fee, you approach the captain's quarters. Your hand is hovering over the doorknob when it twists and the door opens outwards. Glasses walks out, looking absolutely gutted. Glasses is a good kid. He usually greets you with the tip of the hat and some kind of honorific, but he is wiping under his eyes and has kind of a thousand-yard stare and just shoulders past you and shuts the door behind him. There's a long pause, and then from behind the closed door, there is just this visceral, gut-wrenching, and you hear a thundering sound of heavy furniture hitting the floor. Well, I go in. You open the door to chaos. The big dining table that was in the middle of the captain's quarters is totally turned on its side in addition to the map table. All of the papers and letters spilled out across the floor. The captain is sitting on his bed with his head in his hands. Across the room, sitting on a table that has not been overturned, there is a large black metallic box that has a lot of artificer's runes carved into it and a mirror on the top, much like the distress signal that you saw on the moray. In the mirror, you see a stormfolk man with close-cropped black hair and a tricorn hat going, There's a ship behind us and we don't know what to- We don't have any support out here, we need help! And then it clicks over to another Stormfolk woman, with long hair that's pulled up in a braid, leaning into the mirror, going, We didn't even see him coming, we don't know- We're taking on water, we can't- And then the image clicks over to Miriam Adler, who is leaning into the viewpoint of this mirror and saying, 
about 30 leagues southwest of Sleet Gulf. I've taken on water and... Don't know how long we can hold him off. Urgent assistance needed. I repeat, urgent assistance needed. There's... And these images just keep going and going. Captain after captain of these ships sending out distress signals that somehow never made it through. As you move into the room and look at the captain sitting on the end of his bed with his head in his hands, you see that A, the front of this distress signal is open. It looks like Glasses has been tinkering with it. And B, the captain has something in his hand, this metallic chip with arcane runes that are carved into it. It looks very much Australian in nature, and like it got put into the workings of whatever this distress signal was. These distress signals just start to play on repeat, and he does not move or look up to acknowledge that you have come in. But you see his hand tense around this little chip that has been pulled out of the distress signal. And he says, If you came in here to tell me that you told me so, I'm not interested in hearing it. Fee purses her lips, shakes her head, says, Now doesn't exactly seem like the right time for that, does it? He tries to smile, but it comes out as this awful grimace, and he hisses in a breath through his teeth and shakes his head. After everything went sour with Sabine, I was looking for anyone who understood. And I'm not smart, but I wasn't stupid enough at the time to think that Defiance wanted anything close to what I did, but it was enough. How many people? Not even... Just people, how many of my people, people that were counted on me to protect them, fucking died because I let that evil bilge-sucking wench lay her head close enough to the only thing she needed to kill him. Not as many as there would have been if we hadn't done what we did today. More than there should have been, but... Hopefully, no more after this. As long as we can stop her and everyone else involved from hurting anyone ever again. The captain knots his hands up in his hair and shakes his head really hard. He is starting to hyperventilate. That's... that's not enough. I spent all these years telling myself that I'm doing my best to help my people, but how many of them have died in the name of me chasing some definition of myself that's never meant anything? How many people did I kill? How many people did I kill? Fee crouches down in front of him and tries to, like, very hesitantly put one hand on either side of his head. You are not responsible for the ways that other people have taken advantage of you. She looks like she is very much trying to convince herself of that as well. What you are responsible for is your own actions. And what you, what we did today was we saved all of those people. That, I have to believe that was good. Despite the way that you were unwittingly involved 
and despite the fact that it was done in my name. I have to believe it was good. He brings both hands up and wraps them around your wrists and presses your hands even harder into the sides of his face like he is trying to find anything to ground him. I can't believe that any of this is good. That I'm good, not when none of this would have happened if it weren't for me. Fee leans forward and presses her forehead to his. We have to. We have to believe that we are still capable of doing something good. Or what's the alternative? We do nothing? That's... I don't accept that. I I don't accept it. He lets out this gut-wrenching sob and just tightens his hands around your wrists and pulls you forward and kisses you. Kathy kisses him back. This is spectacularly ill-advised. Yes, it is. But so is everything else about the last you-don't-know-how-long of your life. And you find yourself not very willing to think about it as he kisses you and holds you like you are the last solid thing in the universe and tugs you back onto the bed. Fee, several hours later, there is the sound of thunder and rain outside, and the ship is pitching back and forth with increased fervor from what you are used to. It actually makes you feel a little seasick, which is not something that you're used to. You're staring up at the ceiling, and next to you, the captain is fitfully trancing. He's tossing and turning a lot, mumbling things that you can't quite understand. It is the wee hours of the morning. What are you doing? Fee is holding the sheet over her chest, and to the ceiling, she says, Well, that wasn't a good idea. The ceiling, cruelly, vindictively, says nothing. Fee nods to herself, and then says, Well, no take-backs. And starts going through his dresser for a shirt that she can borrow, and possibly a hairbrush. You get out of bed, go over to the dresser, pop open the top drawer. Do me a favor and roll me a very quick investigation check. To find a shirt? Okay. No, you'll see. 16. Okay, you pop open the top drawer of this dresser. It is full of a couple shirts, a couple pairs of pants, and several other pieces of the captain's personal effects. You see his sketchbook in there that you saw him drawing in before, and fortunately for you, a hairbrush. Fee immediately picks that up and starts trying to untangle some of the knots in her hair. As you pick up that hairbrush, you see what is sitting under it. Lying flat on the wooden bottom of this drawer is a small, round pewter coin with a lighthouse being struck by lightning inscribed on it. It is a beacon coin. Fee very calmly puts the hairbrush down on the dresser, looks behind her at where the captain is trancing, 
and she picks up the coin. Arcana check for me, please. That's a 12. Okay, that will just do it. You pick this coin up. You remember from your experience with your own beacon coin that these are attunable magical items. They are bound to the person that is attuned to them in order to be used to send messages and do whatever else it is that beacon coins do. You pick this coin up and turn it over in your hands, and you sense that it is not attuned to anyone. This is a blank slate, if you will. Remind me, do I need to attune to it to send a message? Yes, you do. Do I think I have enough time to do that before the captain wakes up? Yeah, you think you do. He has remained in his trance, even though you have gotten up and started moving around the room. It doesn't seem like he's waking up anytime soon, so it will take you an hour to attune to this coin, but he shows no signs of being up in that time. Still holding the coin, Fee's going to very calmly go back and sit on the edge of the bed, brush her hair, lay down with the coin in her hand, and when it's attuned, she's going to send a message to Sabine. Okay, this coin has all three of its message charges for the day. I will remind you, you get ten words, three times per long rest. What would you like to send to Sabine? The message Fee sends is... I'm alive with your husband. We need to talk. Fee. You lie there clutching this coin for a pretty long time. But then eventually it glows as a message comes through. You look down at the smooth back of the coin in your hand, and in capital, bolded, elvish script, you see the word, FUCK! And then, about a minute later, the coin glows again, and you see another message that says, Are you okay? Where are you headed? I can explain. Fee looks at where the captain is trancing next to her, tucks the sheet a little tighter around herself, and sends a message back. I am good. Headed to Pearlport. I can also explain. (laughs) Okay. You know from your use of Beacon Coins before that If Sabine has not already used her other charges on this coin today, she probably only has one more. So you sit there in silence for another long stretch of time. And then the coin glows again. The message inscribed on the back says, Glad to know you're safe. I'll see you soon. S. For her last message of the day, sends back. See you soon. All my love to you and Lorelai. And then Fee's gonna put the coin under the pillow she's using, 
and try and take her trance. The last thing you feel before you slip under into your trance is an arm wrapping around your waist and tugging you a little bit closer. And that's where we're going to end for this week. Oh. My. God. I've been saying Feast Chaotic aligned. Oh my god. Who would win a several years long separation and a carefully constructed web of lies? Or one chaotic polyamorous bisexual? Guess we'll find out the answer to that next time. On Compelled Duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. Anyway, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok, Duel. You can also find us on TikTok, Duel Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We have lots of other cool stuff to be explored, an official website, an official Spotify profile, you could find all of that linked on our various social media accounts. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, we ask that you head on over to patreon.com slash compelledduel and take a look at all of the fun perks that we have to offer over there. Starting at just $2 a month, you can get early access to new episodes. And at higher tiers, you can access things like exclusive Spotify playlists, bonus content, and even get handwritten wax-sealed letters from your favorite characters every month. If you're interested in supporting the podcast in ways other than pledging to our Patreon, we ask that you consider leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast because that helps us get promoted to a wider listener base and grow our audience. And as always, word of mouth advertising is the most effective thing that we have right now, so if you like the podcast, just tell three friends about it, and if they like it, ask them to tell three friends as well. We do host a weekly Q&A live stream every week on our YouTube channel, so just search Compelled Duel on YouTube and go subscribe to us over there so you can come hang out with us while we discuss the new episodes every week. We would love to see you. Next episode's going to be going up on Friday, August 20th, 2021, or if you are a member of our Patreon, you will be getting your early access on Thursday, August 19th. See you next week.